Hey everybody, my name is Alex and this is Lunchbox Radio. Now, before we get started on the podcast proper, um, I wanted to encourage everybody to go listen to my interview with Peter Tatara, the head of the film program over at um, the Japan Society in New York City. It's a really interesting interview. Um, we cover his time with Anime NYC since he is the person who started up that now massive convention. And we talk about that a whole bunch. We also talk about just what it's like to program a film program like the like the pretty impressive one they have over at um, the Japan Society. And um, yeah, so definitely go give that a listen. Now, without further ado, I want to get into what we're talking about today, which is... The final, the first half of the final thing of Attack on Titan. Now, before we get into like the what the, the meat of this, I want to take you through kind of my experience with this hour-long episode, basically leading up to it, and then watching it, and then deciding to do a singular episode about a singular episode. Since that's not something I really do. I'll do an episode about a movie, or I'll do an episode about a short series that maybe totals up to like an hour. But I don't usually, and I, you can see that with, like, any of the movies I've covered, like Whisper of the Heart, or any of the short series I've covered, like, um, Gombari Doke-chan. But I don't, I'm not, like, an episode-by-episode episode guy, and there's big reasons that I'll get into in talking about this specific episode, but I wanted to cover this because it's... Attack on Titan is put, is... Kind of in the process, in the process of doing its end, of being in its end game, of getting to where the end of the manga 
of getting to where the manga ends is putting a really fine point on what it its main thesis was this entire time. And if you like want to hear more about that specifically, I'm going to detail it here a little bit, but you can go listen to the episode I did on the majority of Attack on Titan that is in this within the feed of this podcast, and you can go check that out. I have talked about Attack on Titan before in, like, a big, sprawling episode. But really what the show is about is about... It's about the insidious effects of generational hatred and generational bias and generational um, persecution. And it, I, I find that to be a really interesting thing that they do that lots of shows kind of oops their way into <laughs> in anime because... And I've probably talked about this before, but I have a friend um, who... One time we were, like, just shooting the shit and the subject of just the Nazis came up of, like, Nazi paraphernalia in Japanese media came up, and he straight up was like, okay, what's the deal? Like, what, how, how did, how did we get, how did they get to the point where, like, Nazi uniforms are fetishized in the way they are in something like, um, like, uh, that, like, um, the Wallflower anime, that the Wallflower manga and anime that came out a while ago, where, um, the main, the main girl... It's like, in a couple scenes, it's just like straight up in a Hugo Boss-style Nazi uniform. Which, by the way, if you didn't know, it's widely considered that Hugo Boss was the people who made the uniform for the Nazis. But that's a different thing. And I basically said to him what I understood to be true, and I'm sure is true and isn't true to various degrees, but that... All the stuff that we have surrounding, like, Nazis bad <laughs> is learned, is, like, taught. And in Japan specifically, they didn't do that teaching process. Like, the, the process that has happened, at least on the surface level, although if you ask people in Germany, sometimes it, it hasn't taken very particularly well. Um... In Germany, where, like, the entire governmental system, the entire societal system seems to be very specific about, like, no, the Nazis were fucked up, and that came out of a culture in Germany that we could not allow to be pervasive again. Just didn't happen in Japan. Like, for a bunch of reasons. Not the least of which is, like, Japan may have started the fight, but America definitely ended it in like with a with a hard period in terms of history. Um and the long and short of what that looks like is it, the relationship around the visual aesthetic of what was you, of a 
regime that was focused and built on hatred, around and built on hatred, becomes kind of divorced from it because no one has a real frame of reference for, oh, this was, like, these, these people were about persecuting Jewish people and attempting to commit mass genocide, not because they wanted to necessarily kill a whole bunch of Jewish people, although that was certainly an effect, but because they wanted to use it as a effective way to to place blame on a set of people so they could control the majority of people. Place blame on a minority so you can control the majority. And most anime backslide into this stuff because they're trying to make a point, they're trying to make reference to something. They're trying to use that framework of like, oh, these were bad people to frame other bad people. Like, um, a perfect example is My Hero Academia, um, I believe referenced Dr. Mangala, like, or, or something, something terrifying. And everybody was like, whoa, that's fucked up. And they, it's just like, my Hero Academia was like, the creator was like, that's kind of the point, but I get, I may have like, not lamp, not lampshaded this proficiently, like, like, effectively or in a correct way, and a lot of apologies were explained. And that doctor ends up like, still being in the show, like, he's in one of the more recent seasons, significantly. And, what... What lots of things to attempt to do with previously bad things miss the mark because they feel ham-handed or they don't feel like they get the full weight of it. Interestingly and hilariously, there's also demonstrations, like I mentioned in the um, it, earlier, um, the aesthetics being borrowed and used in that Wallflower anime, which is a romantic comedy, hilariously. Like, this is like a romantic comedy s s sketch, essentially, that you see, I forget the main character's name, but you see her in, like, a Nazi uniform, essentially, or what you realize to be a Nazi uniform. And there's also a character in the earlier parts of JoJo's, who's just straight up, I think his name is Stroheim, he straight up dude's a Nazi. And he's depicted as a good guy all the way throughout, but it's very clear that, like, he's also a Nazi officer. And what you're experiencing when you see that stuff is an understanding around history that is different than ours. An understanding around history that in, like, there is a time period in which Germany and Japan were aligned and were allies. And so, like, you encountered Nazi uniforms and officers in a way that didn't mean that, like, they were coming to burn your village down. Like, in a way that, like, meant that, like, they were on loan from Nazi Germany. Like, there's a very big sense in some... Japanese media that on this on the on the World War II front history has been written by the winners 
doesn't mean that the losers weren't terrifying and bad and awful. It just means that, like, human beings of flesh and blood were on both sides and everything was fucked up. And, you know, yes, the Nazis existed. But also, the thing that it largely contributed with ending the war was America, as a country, said, we're going to turn this shit up to 11 and, like, establish a new bar for what's not okay in warfare to end all times. And the Jap... The, Jap the Japanese continent is the only country, continent, people that has experienced a nuclear bomb, not once, but twice. And when you stop and you look at that, you're like, oh, okay. So everybody did some terrible shit. And yes, the Nazis are bad, but also nuclear war, very bad. And... That starts to change and morph the conversation away from the attempt at making something black and white. Because nothing is ever really black and white. And the attempt and started to start to bring the conversation into when you think about it the way I just brought us all through what I think um Attack on Titan is is doing and that is having a conversation not about who's the bad guy who's the good guy but having a conversation about hatred and how very quickly when you are acting in a with hatred as your driving force, as your as your driving motivator, it gets out of fucking hand. And not only does it get out of hand, but it gets out of what's the best word for it? It gets out of it it takes on a life of its own and the dice are cast, but you don't realize that you just cast them down a hill. And they will never stop tumbling. Unless they unless people unless somebody figures out a way to put up a wall and stop them permanently. And when we when we all embarked on the journey of attack on Titan as a fandom, as a culture, as whatever, because that's how big this thing is now. It... We started, we started in a way, in a framework that makes a lot of sense to us as, like, people. And it started as a, as a big fucking mystery, basically. Like, yes, there was suspense, and yes, there were giant fucking monsters everywhere, but it was a mystery. And back in 2013, we started with the main character, with, the, with three main characters. We started with Eren, our main main character we started with Mikasa side character and Armin side character and very quickly 
they put Aaron in the center role and you start to see how compromised he is and how kind of like and uh, and you start to see all the things that you build up in a main character start to become slowly but surely problems like his determination his force of will his focus pretty quickly if you if you're watching the show not week to week but like I sat down and watched the entire, like, basically watched, shoved this entire thing into my fucking brain. It's a pretty quick turnover from gutsy main character to force of nature to the problem, basically. And once he becomes the problem, you start to realize that he always would be the problem. That as soon as he was Grisha's, like this was always going to be him he was always going this was always going to be he couldn't escape it as soon as he was born to Grisha as soon as he was born into this system that is just churning through not just individuals but whole groups of people in this like awful cycle of hatred that the kid never stood a fucking chance, if I'm perfectly honest. And the long and short of it becomes like it it becomes about this problem that has been set in motion by people as often these problems are, by people who are who believe that this is a way they can keep power, that this is a way they can keep control over whatever keep control over over whatever fiefdom they've amassed so far and expand their power outward this is very similar to the nazis and they, the show makes the show the initial setup of the show left a lot of questions and but also gave a lot of hints like for example the first of all the characters you meet largely the only japanese named character is mikasa you know aaron aaron's last name is jaeger um what's his face um and Basically, everybody has a has a German name, and the Titans and even Armin, even Armin Arlette has a non-Japanese name, and that stands out in the world of anime because we're talking about a we're talking about a. Medium that does its best to bend over backwards to make its main character Japanese. Like, like they could be going, they, it can be set in America and it can be, and the person was born in Japan and had lived there for a couple of years. Like, it's wild what you'll see shows after a while do to like, oh, okay, this is what we're doing, cool. And so for the show to explicitly have this conversation of 
none of these characters are Japanese except for this one. And even then, they don't quite give you that permission to, like, understand that until way down the fucking line. And all the names are German. They are hunting down these monsters. The monsters at some point seem to be fighting back and are, are not portrayed as really like having a brain in their skull for all, for all intents and purposes. And then, and for for seasons and seasons, everybody was like, "What the hell is this doing?" Like it's it's super it's super entertaining to watch, but what the hell is this doing? Because I should note, Attack on Titan, especially in the beginning, actually entirely Attack on Titan entirely is paced like dog shit. It just is. It like that's how you get to the last part of this show being two hour long episodes separated by six months. And the first one doesn't say a whole lot. Um, it's like it's like just moving the plot forward. And what it does say, it took all of what existed before it to understand and to parse. And I'll get into that in a second. But everyone's like, what are we doing here? What what's what's happening? What's the deal? And I remember, and I've said this before, I've said this a bunch of times when talking about Attack on Titan. I remember sitting with a friend and somebody was like, Alex, why aren't you watching this? It seems, it's like the biggest anime of, like, ever. Why? I'm like, because it feels, it feels bad. Like, I've, I've got, I've got bad feelings. I can feel that it's going to drift into Nazi territory pretty quickly. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, all the Titans are displayed as monsters. Nobody knows why they're there. But the entirety of the cast has very German names. <laughs> this feels very fucked up. And I'm not sure what that is. And lo and behold, they got to the basement and everybody was like, an anti-Semitism was in the basement. And everybody was like, oh shit. The people like, like me... Who were, who were saying that they were pretty sure this is how this was going to go, were right. Only what... Only after... After they wrapped up that particular season, I think it was like season two or something, or whatever season it was, they finally made it to the basement, and then they make it, they make it to the edge of the aisle of, of parody... They drop you in to brainwashed Jewish Nazi youths who are convinced they're one of the good ones. And holy shit, the whole thing just immediately, the whole, the whole base of what this thing is doing immediately shifts with that first episode. And tons of people were like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, where where are all of our char the characters we love? And once you encounter them, you're like, oh, this is what they're doing. This is really interesting. And the characters that you... The characters that you end up with 
as kind of the main cast by the end of but by the point at which we we hit this episode are really the only ones that you could end up with and the reason is because so many of so much of these characters so, so many the one our one main character Aaron once you realize where once you realize where he sits in this continuum and what he represents and what he is, like I said, kid never stood a fucking chance. And the ones who kind of have to ride to the task of dealing with him after Marley, after the like, after the warring nation that is very much just like, Germany in the middle of World War II, fully militarized, fully segregated, fully, you know, using essentially Jewish people as weapons of war, like the most terrifying shit you can imagine, the worst war crimes ever brought to bear, and then like magnified tenfold. After that is wiped off the fucking planet by essentially the... by. By giants trampling them to death in this show's, like, analogy for mutually assured destruction, which is the rumbling. Everybody realizes, oh, fuck. It's still going. Like, we, like we're not... This is not going to stop. Like, this... This is hatred running out of control. And the people who are left to pick up the pieces and deal with it are not the people who you kind of thought would be, but are the people who usually inevitably end up in this scenario. They are the people who are divorced largely from the politics of everything, who have been shoved into having to deal with the aftermath, By basically everything else. And so, like, I'm going to take you through, uh, I'm going to take you guys through the characters, why they're there, the characters, and how they got there, basically. Because like, th this is really important. So first, you have Armin. Essentially, the, uh, essentially, who has become basically an ex uh, a kind-hearted accessory to... Aaron's, like, rampage of hatred. Because Armin became the Colossal Titan after he became a Titan in 8 Brawner. And he became essentially a weaponized person. And he's not the only weaponized person by far in this, in this show. There are unnamed ones who are just, um... Children... The ascent... What's 8... The analogy they use for Jewish people, which is children of a near, which is, this is a sloppy analogy, but it is the analogy that the show goes with, who are weaponizable. So what they end up, so what ends up happening is they basically get turned into weapons that can be dropped from a plane and then expanded into Titans and then they can 
fucking fall and kill people just because of the massive bodies. They're basically giant bombs. And then you have all of the characters like um, like Reiner and like Annie and like um, who have inherited one of the I think one of the like original one of the original Titans, one of the original like thirteen Titans or whatever it is. And Reiner is the is the armored Titan. He and a crucial point about this is once you've inherited a Titan, your your life will end in thirteen years, and that means none of these characters will truly because they're all in like they all inherited in their teens and now they're in their twenties, in like their late teens and now they're in their twenties. Some of them inherited earlier. And so they are close to death in most ways. So you have this very small minority of um right you have Reiner. Annie doesn't get involved. Annie's like full, Annie full on is like go fuck yourself. I'm not. I can't. I'm not. Nope. Mm-mm. Which the entire cast is like no. That's fair. That's fucking fair. You've been put through enough shit. You don't like. You want off of this bullshit? Cool. But you have right. So you have Reiner. You have Armin, and then the last Titan Shifter, as the show calls them, is this character named Pyek. And Pyek is really interesting because when you first meet Pyek. Not only is she a Titan Shifter, not only has she inherited the, um, I think it's like the Cargo Titan or something. Um, she has, she's disabled. Like, she, you, they show her in a wheelchair. They show, oh, they show her perpetually injured, basically. And when you know what you know about Titan Shifters, you realize, oh, shit. She's choosing that. She chose to be this way, at, at least, at least in part. By the time you, me, or or she being she's injured to such an extent constantly by her use of this of her Titan Shifter abilities that it takes her just months and months and months to recover, which is more likely. But she. It's functionally a disabled person who is constant who is constantly made to deal with all of the people around her at, because she is she's basically a she's basically a giant fleshy humvee for all intents and purposes. And Reiner is like I said the armored titan and all of the so the thing you realize is you realize that any of the people who are, who've inherited Titan did it when they were in their teens or younger, or you, not much younger, but did it when they were like preteens, and are tools of warfare. They have been made to. They've been made basically against their will to do unspeakable war crimes. 
And then later, characters like Armin do it because they are hoping it's the right thing and then quickly realize it's not. Quickly realize that they made a misstep that they thought would be in the name of the greater good, but never could be and never would be. And so you have this collective of characters, um, I think the, the characters who are like the team that's going to get it done are Reiner, Pyek, um, Armin, Levi, and Hanji are the like, and the, um, I forget the black guy's name, but the black guy who's like the pilot of the giant cargo plane that they got going. And with every one of these characters, what you see is you see people who are necessarily outside. They're either born out, they're either born outside, or they were pushed out of the box, which is a thing I like to think of as a thing. Or the zone of what this wor what the world in Attack on Titan had deemed to be like normal society because in attack on titan normal society understood that like the children of anir were persecuted and that created a cycle of hate that is going to burn the world that that's go that is going to end the world it is just going to end the world but And, and the people within it are so caught up in it that they, like, like Zeke, like, even Grisha kind of never stood a chance. Like, he just didn't. So it makes sense that Grisha and Zeke and Aaron just never stood a chance. The only people who possibly could were people who were so far out of the... who were either intelligent enough to know that they, that like... they were fighting someone else from the beginning, they weren't just fighting monsters, or were intelligent enough to understand that like... This hatred can't continue. Like it's not a, this is not a sustainable fuel store. It will explode eventually. And the rumbling in Attack on Titan is the explosion. Make no doubt. It is it is the detonating of the atom bomb, so to speak. And you see in you, so let's cover the Per, by the way, spoilers alert for the um for the first episode of the final two episodes of Attack on Titan. Hopefully, um, unless they want to pump more money out of this, um, you are reminded of that Hanji is just really into fucking like understanding the Titans, and she thinks they're. She thinks there's like an innate beauty to them, and she thinks there's, she finds them fascinating. She doesn't. She's not even really scared of them. She she knows that they are a threat, but she's not. She see she until 
literally she burns up. She sees them as something to be understood, to be studied, to be all this shit. And you hear that when she's going to battle the fucking rumbling wall and slow them down. And she's just like, oh, you guys are beautiful. Let's fucking do this. You see in Levi, somebody who is necessarily out, who is by the grace of this fucked up society of um, the wall of within the walls and of parody has fallen through the cracks and who it's just a killing machine because that's how he was because that's how he was built from childhood. You see Armin as somebody who has now done terrible things and realized that he's part of the reason that the, that they are experiencing a nuclear they're experiencing a nuclear bomb explosion in slow motion basically. You see Mikasa who is and spoiler for Attack on Titan in general who is coming to the conclusion that she will be have to be the person who stops the person she loves and that will that may entail killing him and that she will have to live with that for the rest of her life but that is what needs to happen because killing him may be the only thing that stops him in the way that he wants to be stopped and even in and um Reiner says this as much when in a in a scene in the episode he says i think I don't think this sits well with Aaron either. I think he's kind of fucked up on his own supply right now. I, when he set this all in motion, I don't think he, he this sits well with him. I don't think this is okay. Why else are we all standing around and being fine? Because he could have stopped us at any point. And everybody come to the c- conclusion that... Aaron was somebody who was given all these tools and who was and who people and who fate not even people but the and not even fate who the cycle of hatred manipulated into pushing the into pushing the button And Aaron saw no way out. And you can say what you want. Yeah, there's always a way out. There's always a choice not to. You always have a choice. But that's easy from the outside. That's easy to understand that, like, you have the choice. You can just not. I can't tell you how often I just, like, do shit. And people are like, wait, you can do that? I'm like, yeah, you can. You can just do that. You can... You can kind of do whatever you want. No one's going to stop you. There's nothing you have to do. There's no... As much as people want to pretend there's a set path through life, it doesn't exist. A goofy side note. um, The same... Actually, the same guy who was like, what's the deal with the Nazis in Japan? 
we went to a um, St. Patrick's Day parade a long time ago. Like, we were still in college a long time ago, I think. And he... And we, like, went to a diner. And I ordered a seltzer water for... At part of breakfast. And he looked at me like, What the fuck? You can do that? Like, that, that can happen? I had no idea. I'm like, yeah. The soda machine doesn't stop working just because it's before 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Like, it, you can... I could order a fucking Coke, but I wanted to be a normal human today. Or closer to a normal human today. And it was like this, like, aha light bulb moment for him. In a way that just, like, hadn't occurred to him. And what... What I think that, people, that what so many people don't understand when they say you can just not is so many more people don't even have that thought occur to them. They don't even have the thought that, like, this was a choice. That, that concept does not exist. And for... For Aaron as a character who is cursed by this existence in all time in all places at all times he doesn't see how he doesn't see a way out or he does see a way out and he doesn't see that he can stray from his own past that he can make a choice. That he can make a conscious choice to not. And I don't think the sh I think the show is forcing the issue because if it didn't, it could just say, "Hey, Aaron's not going to do this. We're done. We're done." It sh the show makes the choice of makes it out as fate. But it also gives Aaron a way out. It gives Aaron's like it gives Aaron it gives Aaron a way to stop himself, basically. And the show ends with them, you know, going after going after Aaron and coming up with ways with a uh, plan B first, and then realizing there's a plan A they could come up with, and attempt to do that. But the long and short of it is, is that this is this whole thing is a saga about the cycle of hate and breaking the cycle of hate and ultimately ends up being a conversation about the people who end up breaking the cycle of hate. Because oftentimes, it's the people who are least embedded in that cycle to begin with. Like I said, it is, you know, a dis it, is a, it is a disabled, it is a disabled woman in her 20s. It is a, it is a, a, Constricted by, conscripted by forced soldiers. It is people who come from outside of that cycle into it and like function as essentially like 
unique actors in the way that like um, Hanji or Levi or Mikasa function. And it's also people, but it's also people like Annie. Like Annie, just straight up. She's like, nope. The way that I can help to stop this is by stopping this. Is by stopping. And the other thing that happens here, I forget their um, names, but the, the two Nazi youth kids who... At this point in the show, who at this point in the show, you see as like grown up at like in like older teenagers. They're probably about the age that um, Aaron, Armin, and um, Mikasa were at the beginning of the show. Even though they come in and they're younger, are freaking out. They like want to try and stop this. They want to try and help, but. Annie, to her immense credit, just realizes, like, these kids can't be involved. Like, they can't be... They can't be more fuel to the fire. They can't... Like, they've achieved something... They've achieved something... They, they found their way out of this bullshit. My job needs to be to keep them out of this bullshit. And when they introduce those characters, when they introduce the, like, Nazi use kids in the beginning of the third season, or in the beginning of the final season, rather, you're like, holy shit, these kids are... F the, the lead kid, the, the girl, I forget her name, I'm looking her up right now, Um, is... Is fucked up. She is fucked up. She is high on her. She is absolutely high on her own supply, and she only the. But the thing is, she only realizes that when she sees somebody who's even deeper in it, who's even more fucked up than she is, and when and that when she is confronted with the reality of what Aaron is, what he. Who Aaron was, where he started, what he's become, and what the other people around him, and who the other people around him are, and what they're trying to do, and why and why they're doing it, and you see this in that in that whole stretch of the in that whole like in her whole arc in that season, you see her like world come undone and get rebuilt all like all at once and you feel for this poor girl because she was like 13 and like it just she just had, she had to get all the way fucked up and be dragged all the way back into her own humanity before she be realized, like, oh, fuck. I'm just another rock in the pond. Uh, it, I'm just another... I am just... I, I'm not the rock causing the ripples. I am a leaf on the, on the surface of the water. And... So... 
uh, and this is where I'll probably leave it, but Arnold Schwarzenegger um, recently did a video to all of his followers, and he talked about the fact, because he's from, he's Austrian, and he, he talked about his father, which he's never really talked about before, apparently. I didn't, I don't know much about Arnold Schwarzenegger other than he seems smart enough to know how how smart he isn't. <laughs> Um, which is an impressive thing to say and an impressive thing in a human. That kind of self-awareness is incredible. But where it probably came from is he said he grew he grew up with a with somebody who was a Nazi. His father was a Nazi. His father was a Nazi sympathizer and like the whole deal. And he said that growing up with that hate and having and having at some point as probably a teenager to understand that it was that that was wrong that that was bad that that was a kind of root of evil that couldn't be that would unmake him and make or at very least make him a pariah if he allowed it to exist and having to unlearn that was devastating not just for him but for his not just for him but especially for his father and as well as for his father And that it's hard and it's physically painful to unlearn those things, to unlearn those lessons. So it's best if you never do to begin with. And I think that I think that, that is really being demonstrated in this show because the the Marleyan Empire, essentially, learned those lessons so too well, and it ended up being the thing that would cause them to be absolutely devastated, to be absolutely just to OD on, to essentially OD on their own supply and get fucked. Only they brought this hatred into the world, and. One of the worst, one of the worst phrases ever, ever spoken by any person ever, but especially by gun nuts, is people, is guns don't kill people, people kill people. And the reason why I say that is because they're not, that phrase is not wrong. The, a physical gun on a table cannot kill someone. It's just an inanimate object with the capacity to kill. A person can kill somebody with a gun. A person can stab somebody with a knife. A person can do any number of terrible things to another person, is my point. But the kind of capacity of destruction that the tool, because that's essentially what a gun is, a tool for harm of yourself and or others, can inspire in people, that's the real thing that causes people to kill people. If somebody, if, if guns never existed, and, you know, somebody got real sad about their lives, 
There's only so far they can take it. <laughs> but because guns exist in, especially in the world, but especially in America and in American culture, people get real sad about their lives. They go get a gun and they make and they make their existence that they make their sadness, their anger, everyone else's problem, and make everybody else less safe. In that way, guns not as the actual physical thing, not as the, like, hunk of plastic metal and, like, fucking gunpowder that it is, but as a concept, as a concept that can be acted on, becomes the problem. And becomes the, like, the con that concept, that concept of a thing that is singularly designed to do as much violence to as many people as possible inspires a level of hatred and a level of viscera and anger that maybe wouldn't have existed before th before that thing existed. And what Marley has done, what Marley kicked off when they persecuted the original subjects of Anir and, like, Anir in general, and, and, and Anir herself, is they kicked off that conceptual... They, they kicked off, they did that conceptual kickoff, and they set everything in motion to this being the point, to it taking decades to it taking hundreds of years before there were enough people who were born outside of that cycle and then injected into it to get their shit together in time, barely in time, to fucking fix the normal people. Shit. And the thing I like most about this episode, and I didn't... I don't like the way they're doing this. I don't like the way that they're rolling this out. I think this could have been resolved a long time ago. A lot of this is them just having mismanagement of scheduling problems and all that stuff. A lot of it is also them dragging this shit out because it's the most prestigious show on right now and they want the money and they want the attention. I get it. But I don't like that they... I don't like that they are presenting it this way of like an hour now and then six months later we get another hour. We're gonna drag this... We're gonna, we're gonna ride this money train to the end, baby. But... This show is basically like, hey... All the normals fucked this up. All the people in the system fucked this up for themselves. And they dragged all of these other poor fucking people of various minority status into this shit with them. In some way or another. Be it the Marlian government, be it the... be it society at large, be it Aaron. 
when he dragged fucking Armin into becoming the Colossal Titan. Be it any of them. Anybody who had any kind of power dragged all these poor fucking souls into this bullshit with them. And now all these guys have to do is fix all the shit these assholes fucked up. And hopefully, maybe, somehow, there'll be some people left alive other than them at the end. And that sounds insane, but it's really what the crux of this episode is presenting to you. It's like, oh hey, remember the girl who, you, the first time you met her, she was in a fucking wheelchair? Guess what? She's part of the team to, like, fix this shit now. Because that needed to be her problem. You know the girl whose parents were murdered? And so she got taken in by a kind family and has had a really fucked up life and has become a killing machine because she, you know, it's the way she could figure out how to survive. This is her problem too now. Oh, and the guy who's basically the same, also his problem. Except, you know, he couldn't just die when he was attacked by a bunch of fucking giants in the woods. He's gotta be, you know, of fucking near death stick together nightmare of a human now oh and the one who's his friend she's gonna go burn up fighting and slowing down this wall of other giants who's going to trample the world if they don't fucking stop this shit there's a realization here and that is that this that fixing this shit the fixing the shit that people in charge kick off will never be those people's problem. And and that 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 is true of everything from politics to office to office policies to any of it. If you look at um of an example and this is where I'll probably leave it. If you look at um don't ask, don't tell. Don't Ask, Don't Tell was a policy enacted in the 90s around being about home, about being queer in the military. They needed people who would serve in the military, but they necessarily didn't want anybody who wasn't straight because they were bigoted assholes. And so instead of just saying like, oh, one thing's more important than the other, they enacted a policy called Don't Ask, Don't Tell, which would mean we're not going to ask if you are queer. And so you won't have to tell us. If you tell us, we have to kick you out. But we're not going to ask. The onus is on you to shut the fuck up. And the... The long and short of it becomes... Nobody, nobody who enacted that policy ever had to deal with it. But all of the, you know, new recruits, cadets who were queer had to deal with it every fucking day. Another, much closer to my heart policy. No child left behind. Was enacted with, I'm sure, good intentions by the Bush administration. And uh, hilariously, a lot of these are not, although there are, Policies that are enacted by Democratic administration too, but a lot of these 
are Republican um, moments, is what I'll refer to them as, policies. The no child left behind scenario basically led to a bunch of kids being dragged through education, learning next to fucking nothing. It's, it's why if you have a kid or you are in the public school system, you are tested within an inch of your fucking life, which is why, you know, creativity isn't valued very much in the American school system before college. And even if the only time creativity is valued in college is if you go to a liberal arts or an arts program, and even then really only an arts program, the... And the people end up having to deal with all that shit are the people who oftentimes it is most it is most dangerous to. It is the disabled people, the people of color, the people from a broken background, the people who are too kind for their own good. And if you noticed by the end of this show, we've got a plane full of all of them. And I I just, like, originally I wasn't going to do this episode because, like I said, it's a single, it's an episode on a single episode. But that, that kind of core truth that this show understands is really important, it's really, I think, important because it's something that this show is making very clear. But lots of shows, just lots of shows and properties that deal with similar things just don't. They just, they don't make it clear. They don't make it. They're so busy empowering these kinds of people that they forget along the way a little bit. That like, oh... But the reason they need this kind of power, they need the reason why they need to be the heroes of the story is because all the other people, the people who are actually in charge, fucked up so hard it got them killed or sidelined. By this by this point in the show, Aaron is essentially like a has converted himself from a person into a force of nature that has no control over himself. He has kicked... He is, he is but a football that has kicked itself into the sky. Gravity's gonna do what gravity's gonna fucking do. And he can't stop it. He can't stop it anymore. He could only start it. He can't stop it. He's basically in a runaway car. And so it's up to all the people who he, who's con who have to live with the consequences of his action to stop him. And like, and like I was just saying, I don't usually do this about a singular episode, but it, those concepts really struck me. And the the meat of the actual episode, it's set up, like they. It's set up with some beautiful moments of animation in the form of Hanji's fight. And, but, like, I I started listening to a new podcast called... I started actually watching it on YouTube called um, Otaku's Anonymous. 
um, which if they if they hear this, please say something on the podcast so I know I'm not screaming into the void. But um, it's run by Danny Mata and um, MC Hammer Twenty Three from over on TikTok, and they both also have their own YouTube pages. But they like they sung this thing's praises, and I think. I think if I'm afraid of anything happening to Attack on Titan, and I think what has happened to Attack on Titan this entire time is also worrying, and it is this. It's that the hype engine of the publicity train of media has come for anime in a real way, where it didn't used to exist. And... To demonstrate that, I'm going to use the example of Rock Lee's fight against Gara in um, Naruto. In the original Naruto. If you know, and once I said that, you know exactly the fight I'm talking about. That thing is awesome. It is a feat of animation. It is a absolutely incredible choreography. But what it is at its core, it is a... hero fighting a monster. It is a hero who is thought to be at a disadvantage fighting a monster and almost killing and almost killing, fighting a dragon and almost killing the dragon, except the dragon catches his leg and breaks it. Basically. If that had come out now, it would be the hypest of hypest things People would be like, holy shit, did you see this episode of Naruto? It whips. And then you would have to wait for quite a while. You'd have to wait for the equivalent of what you waited, of how long you waited for me to watch the damn thing and, like, have this conversation that I've had here. To have the conversation about what's really happening, the emotional beats and point of this, of that fight sequence. Of that sequence at all. You'd have to wait for the analysis of that Gara that Gara fight being conversation with the character who is kind of the like penultimate challenger in that in the tuning exam arc of Naruto, which is Neji. And what Neji is about and all that shit. Because what does numbers is not what I'm talking about right now. What does numbers, for me at least, will be that I put out an Attack on Titan episode in the week that Attack on Titan is happening. <laughs> but what does numbers for most people is just the, like, fanboying of it all. Of the conversation about Hanji's fight, which I barely talked about because that's not the point of this episode. That's the spectacle that keeps you watching. It's the showpiece. It's the moment of Sakuga in this animated thing. But the point of this episode is showing you the ragtag group and showing you what they're ma- who make who makes them up. And the one who stands out is Hanji. Hanji's the one who doesn't fit. And they the plot removes her. So you're forced to see the fact that, like, the only people left are 
this ragtag bunch of weirdos and outcasts. The ones who shouldn't have to deal with this shit. Only because everyone who belonged got shredded by the system. The only people who can deal with it are people who are outside of the system so they can accurately see how it works. And on that note, if you like this episode, new episodes of the podcast come out every Thursday and every other Sunday. Um, the next Sunday edition will be about the Anime Awards, which I've got a lot of weird fucking sauce about. Um, and so many weird sauce about that before Attack on Titan happened to the anime world again, I almost did this episode about the Anime Awards, so look forward to my thoughts on that thing that occurred, and um, in the meantime, I have been Alex, this has been Lunchbox Radio, and I will talk to you on Sunday. つのたまが正義の証明貫けば英雄に近づいたその目を閉じて触れてみれば同じ形同じ体温の悪魔僕はダメってあいつはいいのそこに壁があっただけなのに生まれてしまった定め嘆くな僕らはみんな自由なんだ